Welcome to Close Horse, the podcast that tries really, really, really hard to withstand the seductive lure of Instagram ads. And God, it's getting harder every day. They're really, Instagram really has got my number right now. <laughs> I'm your host, Amanda. Welcome to our third mini-sode. As a reminder, in a mini-sode, you'll only be hearing from me, so no expert guest. And you know what? It's a little lonely over here. <laughs> like our other mini-sodes, we'll be digging into one very specific topic. So at this point, I would give you some sort of introduction that sets up the theme for this episode. But I struggle to find a concise and accurate way to describe the businesses we're going to discuss today. Like cheap and cheerful, cheap and cheerful and disappointing, cheap and disappointing. I don't know. So let's just jump into it. A while back, my friend Colin ordered some Slayer trucker hats from Wish. They looked great on the site and he was stoked because you know what? Cool trucker hats are getting harder and harder to find in the thrift stores. And maybe you weren't aware of this, but I know this well because I live with a husband who is also constantly on the search for cool trucker hats. And the hours he spends on eBay, let me tell you. <laughs> I've reached a point that when I see someone driving while obviously checking their phone, I just assume that they are looking at trucker hats and vintage tees on eBay. Honk if you agree. <laughs> Unsurprisingly, he also makes music with Colin. So, you know, birds of a feather. But back to Colin's hats. They arrived four months later. Yes, I said four months. On the bright side, they came with a free set of gold playing cards, which looked pretty cool in the photo he sent me. But the hats themselves, well, he describes them as, quote, janky as fuck. They looked wrinkly and flimsy. And, you know, one hat is literally half the size of the other. Like, maybe it's for a really cool baby or an even cooler cat. I, I don't know. But they were also really inexpensive. So Colin just wrote them off. That's what anyone would do, right? This is not a unique experience in 2020. In fact, for the last five years or so, the internet has been filled with stories of disappointed customers unknowingly buying low-quality knockoffs via random yet somehow multiplying online retailers. I'm sure you've seen some of these stories. And I saw the ads everywhere. Like, I'm still getting a ton on Instagram. But I remember the super weird ads I would see on Facebook regularly from Wish for things like yarn balls the size of an ottoman to i'm i'm serious about this one adult diapers with a strap on i think that's what it was to what seemed to be a bowl or a plate some kind of vessel filled with worms or maybe spaghetti like was i being offered the worms slash spaghetti or the vessel it was in i'll never know but they're intriguing right they get you to click it and be like what the heck is this wish thing well, Wish sells so much cheap stuff. Like, if you're looking for a bargain, this is the place to shop. $9 Epic knife sets and $3 AirPod knockoffs, $1 phone cases and $5 t-shirts. I even saw an $8 couch on there, but I'm sure I'm just confused. Like, how could that happen? It's It's got to be the couch cover. I don't know, but even still for $8, that's crazy. I mean, it's just a paradise of hot deals and super weird stuff. Wish is an American-owned company, unlike some of the other brands we're going to talk about in this episode, founded by a former Google engineer who is obsessed with economics. 
And Wish goes after the customer that thinks Amazon is too expensive, that doesn't have the cash for a Prime membership. They are targeting the dollar store customers and bargain shoppers of the world. I mean, I get it. That's me and my family in a nutshell. The company sells factory direct from China, taking a 15% cut of each sale. This type of model is called drop shipping. Okay, but what is drop shipping? You want to know, right? Drop shipping is a retail fulfillment method where a store doesn't keep the product it sells in stock. Instead, when a store sells a product using drop shipping, it purchases the item from a third party and has it shipped directly to the customer. So as a result, the seller doesn't have to handle the product directly. It's basically no commitment on the side of the seller, right? There's no financial risk. And we'll talk about this a little bit more later in the episode. The dropshipping model is massive for Wish, hitting close to $2 billion in sales last year alone. And once again, this stuff is $1, $2, $5, $8. So that's a lot of stuff. Okay, so let's do a little calculation. Let's assume that the average price point of something you buy on Wish is $5. And this is not scientific, but we know there's a lot of $1 stuff. We know there's some $8 couches. So let's hit the midpoint there and say $5. Well, for $2 billion in sales at an average retail price of $5, we're looking at 400 million units sold each year. So 400 million things were bought last year from Wish and shipped all over the world. That's a lot of stuff. It's a lot of phone cases and couch covers and bowls of worms. And I mean, who could forget the diaper with the strap-on? That's a lot of diapers with strap-ons. So it's massive, right? And Wish was the most downloaded shopping app worldwide in 2018. And it is now the third biggest e-commerce marketplace in the US by sales. Amazon obviously being number one. Globally, about 90 million people use it at least once a month. Conversely, this was interesting to me, the company has been losing about $190 million per year, even after doing $2 billion in sales, because they spend so much money on marketing. I mean, think about how many ads you've seen for Wish. They're everywhere. Orders take two to four weeks or even longer to get to the customer because they're shipping from factories in China, India, Myanmar, and so on all over the world. Sometimes they take even longer, right? Like we saw Colin, it took months and he was really unhappy with the product. Well, 80% of Wish customers return to the site for a second purchase, which blows my mind. <laughs> like, whoa, knowing the disappointment that a lot of customers face around quality, shipping time, and customer service, because I've seen the reviews all over the internet, and I've seen the posts of people who've been disappointed. I think that speaks to something essential about humans, which is that we are all addicted to deals, deals, deals. We always come back to that, right? Yeah, I was really disappointed by the product. Uh, it took four months to get to me. Uh, it was a piece of garbage. I threw it out. But you know what? I'm just going to go back in for it again because I just can't say no to something that costs $4. That's part of the human condition, I guess. In the highly unlikely event that you haven't heard of Wish by now, which I guess would mean you have no social media presence, and I do have some friends like that, so I guess probably none of them have heard of Wish. Anyway, I'm sure you've heard of Shein. 
at least if you're a woman who buys clothes. You've definitely heard of Shein. Shein came under fire multiple times this summer, first for selling Islamic prayer mats as rugs, and then later for selling a $2 swastika necklace. I mean, okay, first off, obvious issue, a swastika. To say that's disgusting is an understatement. But let's also not forget how gross selling a necklace for $2 is. If you've been listening to Clothes Horse long enough, you know that something that cheap means bad conditions and pay for the workers who made it. So everything about this is terrible. Shein feels like the granddaddy of cheap clothes online because it's been around for 12 years. And these clothes are cheap. I mean, like all caps, C-H-E-A-P. We're talking bike shorts for $2, dresses for $10, I and mean, you get the picture. According to Chinese news site Abacus, the company's sales amounted to $2.83 billion in 2019. So almost $3 billion. Once again, we know that this stuff is cheap. So we're talking a staggering number of cheap garments going across the world. So... Maybe you've never ordered from the site, but the name sounds familiar to you. And you know why? Because Shein also sells a ton of stuff via Amazon. I was unable to find any details around a number of units they're selling or the kind of sales they're doing on Amazon, but they have a huge selection and a big storefront. So Shein is touching a lot more customers than it might seem, right? And Shein is massively popular around the world, boasting customers from over 230 countries. For example, in India, the brand was able to amass over 1 million daily active users, meaning 1 million people shopped their site every day, and they placed 10,000 orders daily in 2018. The app was downloaded more than 5 million times that year. So 2018 was a really big year for Shein in India. And I'm assuming 2019 was even bigger. I just haven't been able to find data around it. Unfortunately for Shein, the brand was banned by India in 2020, along with some other brands and apps like TikTok to, quote, avoid any privacy invasions and to secure the Indian cyberspace. Indian shoppers kind of freaked out over the loss of Shein. And so the internet is filled with articles with titles like how to find a new place to shop now that Shein is gone. I mean, this was a major loss (laughs) for, for customers of India. So what's the story with Shein? Well, first off, it's kind of mysterious. There's no Wikipedia article for Shein, which is so weird, right? I mean, we're talking about a, a company that did almost $3 billion in sales last year. No Wikipedia article? Pretty weird. Here's what I was able to cobble together by reading tons of articles. I had to read so many and I can only get one little drop of information from each one. So the company is based in Nanjing, China. It's owned by Shenzhen Global Egro e-commerce, led by CEO Mike Shu. The company owns other brands who also sell mega cheap clothes. And you're going to recognize some of these names. You've definitely seen them in ads on Instagram and Facebook. Dress Lily, Rose Wholesale, Rose Gal, Sammy Dress, Zaffle, Nasty Dress, <laughs> Romwe, Mod Lily, Twinkle Deals, and Trends Gal. So basically a substantial chunk of the rando ads you're receiving on Instagram. 
The brand operated relatively under the radar until 2018 when hackers were able to obtain the passwords and emails from more than 6 million customers. Subsequent investigations indicated that the company had worked very little to prevent this kind of thing from happening in the first place. Like, they just didn't care about it. Sheehan kind of lived under the radar for a long time, selling first to customers via strategic Facebook ads and later via Instagram. Wish has been following the same model. In the past couple of years, however, Sheehan has tried to turn itself into a brand, like in quotation marks, brand. First, it worked with celebrities and influencers like Madeline Petch from Riverdale and fashion influencers like Chriselle Lim. And this strategy worked because it got the brand more than 12.6 million followers on Instagram. First, you're like, what does that mean? Well, here's some context. Urban Outfitters has 9.3 million followers. Levi's has 7.2 million. And ASOS, who I think of as a really global brand, has 10.5 million. So all of them being beaten by Shein in terms of followers. Next, they double down by signing up real big time famous people like Katy Perry, Lil Nas X, Hailey Bieber, Rita Ora, and Yara Shahidi. They enlisted these celebrities to participate in its May 2020 hashtag Shein Together event, which was an online fundraiser to benefit the World Health Organization's COVID-19 response fund. According to Shein, the event drew more than 1.6 million viewers. I do want to say I have to give a shout out to Shein for selling extended sizes and plus sizes up to size 22. I mean, this is the one thing they're doing right, and why can't everyone else be this smart? Okay, so let's talk a little bit about the shopping experience for all of these brands, including Wish. First, you'll shop through thousands of options. The photos will look pretty good, right? But they won't have that same sort of consistent background styling or models like you would see on, say, Madewell or Zara's site. That's kind of weird, right? Well, internet sleuths all over the world have figured out that these photos are stolen from Instagram posts and real brand photography because, well, most of the styles are knockoffs of other brands and even other fast fashion brands. And I got to tell you, we ran into this issue a lot at Nasty Gal, which, I mean, to be honest, Nasty Gal, when I was there and well, now the new version of Nasty Gal, it was fast fashion. Wish and Shein, along with all their other weird brand buddies, would screenshot our photography and our Instagram followers' content that they had tagged us in and use it on their sites. On our end, it wasn't worth pursuing from a legal perspective because it's more cost and more work than it's worth. And these stolen images were just like a game of whack-a-mole, like new ones popping up constantly. We would never be able to stay on top of it. So we just ignored it. And as far as I can tell, every other retailer out there is doing the same thing because a quick perusal of Shein and Wish and all of these other sites, I see photographs from Free People and Urban Outfitters and Madewell and basically every brand you can think of. So, okay, you've picked out some stuff, right? It gets a little confusing because you're going to be bombarded by deals and coupon codes. Like just now, I opened Shein and here are the offers I'm seeing on the homepage. Free shipping with one coupon code. Okay, that's pretty typical. 10% off orders over $29, which just to tell you, that would be a savings of $2.90. Not sure how valuable that is. 15% off orders over $69. 
20% off of orders over $169. I bet you think I'm out of deals here, but no, there's more. An extra 10% off if I opt to pay with Afterpay. And then $3 off if I pay via PayPal. A link for products that are buy one, get 99% off the second, which is practically buy one, get one free, but 1% not. There's tons of stuff that's like was $20, but is now $2.90. There's a Katy Perry CD for $5.99, limit one per customer. And this is totally unrelated to sales. There's also pet clothes. So that's a lot of deals, right? It's really confusing. And you know what? These coupons and deals are meant to both confuse and beguile you into buying more and more. So you sort it out. You find the right deal for you. You get some cat clothes. You place your order. It's going to take two to six weeks to arrive, and it's going to arrive in several different packages. Well, why? Well, Shein, like Wish, operates via dropshipping, meaning that they're going to push the orders directly to the factory who makes it to order, or maybe they already have the completed inventory sitting around and they just ship it out to you. So that's going to come a little bit faster. In this way, these retailers act less like a standard retailer who would buy the inventory, house it at their warehouse, and pack it up when you place the order. That's how you can receive something in one to two business days you know, from, say, Nordstrom. Instead, Shein and its friends don't buy any inventory. They're more like a conduit to the factories. So they take a fee. It's about 35%. It can vary. Um, once again, there's not a lot of transparency into how that structure works. They take that fee for basically hosting, selling, and marketing the product. And when you know that, it makes sense why they wouldn't want to invest in their own photography or even their own designs, because they aren't taking the financial risk of making the product in the first place. So they don't have to work too aggressively to sell it. Also, now that you know this, you can see that their overhead is extremely low. So they aren't paying salaries for buyers, designers, production managers. They don't need a photo studio or stylists, photographers, models, samples, photo retouchers. So this is another reason the prices are low. The internet is full of hilarious side-by-side -side comparisons of photos of what I thought I ordered versus what I got. The primary difference is quality. Customers are ordering what appear to be, say, a cotton t-shirt, and it arrives made of shiny nylon windbreaker fabric. Bad fabric is one of the most common complaints. I also see tons of loose threads, unhemmed and unfinished seams, bad buttons and zippers. Basically, all the hallmarks we have come to recognize from both fast fashion and cheap fashion. Some other common complaints are maxi dresses that arrived as minis. It's classic. Uh, sizing appears to be really terrible and inconsistent. Supposedly, Shein has been making improvements here, but Wish is definitely not. And there's still plenty of Shein complaints about fit and size and weirdness. Also, totally different colors and silhouettes than pictured and like little to no embellishment. And once again, that's because these are knockoffs of designs by other brands. I would question, based on my experience in the industry, if these brands even had a sample of the original item to work off of, to copy. I think they're just using a photo as their guide. When I see the side-by-side -side of the photo versus the reality, it speaks to me in a way that says, they just looked at a photo and tried to copy it. In 2017, Valfrey sent a cease and desist to Shein for copying several of her pieces, both clothing and phone cases. 
And there's a lot more examples of that out there. This is just one that happened to get some press. All of the things I've talked about are how the prices stay low. You know the ingredients of a garment's price by now, but to review how these prices are so low, let's go down the list. First off, cheap fabrics, primarily poly blends and not even nice poly blends because there are nicer poly blends. Cheaper trims like plastic zippers and flimsy buttons. Seen a lot of reviews that specifically cite bad buttons. Strange inconsistent fit, which that's because no one's paying for a fit model and fit samples, right? That's expensive. You can't charge $8 for a dress if you're going to have to fit it multiple times. Another one I see is prints that don't line up along the seams because lining up those prints means using more fabric, making it more expensive, um, no functional pockets or lining. You know those are expensive. Little to no embellishment, you know, embroidery or sequins, they're really, really expensive. You're not going to see a lot of that on these Shein garments. And worst of all, there's not going to be any original designs because designers are super expensive, hence all the knockoffs. By now, you know how I feel about brand new cheap clothes. For one, when we buy a brand new dress that costs $8, it doesn't feel valuable enough to wear for most events. Like you might be embarrassed to wear it to a wedding or a job interview. Secondly, clothes this cheap feel almost disposable. Like if you wear that $8 dress one time, you feel like you got your money's worth. And I hear people say things like that. So I know that's real. Like, ah, it already paid for itself. So what happens? You don't wear it again. And eventually it goes to the thrift store or the landfill. And the irony, uh, the irony of all these cheap disposable clothes is that they can't stand more than a few wearings, but somehow they manage to linger in the landfill for hundreds of years. Okay, let's review what we have so far. Shein and the other clothing retailers like this are knocking off other retailers. They're even stealing their photography. The quality of what the customer actually receives can be very disappointing from both Shein and Wish and all the others. Other times it's totally fine, but in general, none of these clothes are going to stand the test of time. There are a lot of mentions across social media of these clothes not even withstanding one or two wears. That's disgusting. I think this is a good time to talk about customer reviews. Both Wish and Shein and all Shein's buddies get a lot of reviews and most of them are really good. Wish's reviews seem to be on the up and up. Like, there's nothing sketchy going on there, but they also heavily incentivize customers to leave reviews by offering additional deals and, and other discounts upon writing a review. So people are writing review when they maybe normally wouldn't just to get that coupon code. Shein, on the other hand, has been accused of buying fake reviews all over the internet, and evidence has indicated that this was at least happening pretty frequently in the past, like the same review word for word being posted by dozens of allegedly different accounts all over the place. And they even were accused of being a financial partner of one of these review sites. So it's sketchy. There are also stories of Shein and Ramwi reaching out to customers who left bad reviews and then offering them huge discounts to delete the bad review and leave a better one. That's incredibly unethical. And as I've mentioned, finding info on Shein was really hard, not only because the company is so mysterious, but also because the internet is filled with paid partnership reviews that are so glowing with all kinds of influencers and affiliates just talking it up. They're all saying that Shein is the best thing ever 
And sure, the dress ended up being in sheer polyester, but that was the, quote, perfect fabric for summer. Uh, No one's ever said that in real life without being paid for it. And Shein is spending so much money on marketing, affiliates, influencers, and it has been for a long time. So case in point of how difficult it is to find accurate information about Shein. In 2016, BuzzFeed published an expose about these cheap Instagram, Facebook brands that were selling knockoff clothes, including Shein. But in 2013, so just three years before that, they had cited the brand in a listicle about the best new places to shop online. Okay, well, maybe BuzzFeed learned from their mistakes and you know now they're out of bed with Shein. Uh, actually, no, because this year they featured a quiz entitled Go Shopping on Shein and We'll Tell You an Important Date for You. And I was really confused by this quiz. I took it. I got September 12th, whatever that means. And while I was taking the quiz, which took all of like three seconds, I saw knockoffs of styles by Lisa Says Ga, IMGia, and Adidas. And I bet if I looked a little harder, I'd see even more. So there's that too. But my point is, Shein is spending tons of cash to normalize its behaviors, to make us feel like it's okay to steal designs and then disappoint customers. Because... Maybe you don't think BuzzFeed legitimizes a brand, but tons of other people do. You assume that BuzzFeed or any other influencer or blog writing about them has vetted and stands behind the brand, that it has their seal of approval. I mean, it really works on you psychologically. So we already know that they engaged in some shady behaviors, but are they sustainable or ethical? Are you laughing at me for even asking that question? Well, Shein has a full page of social responsibility And it actually hits a few of the UN's sustainable development goals. They promise livable wages and health insurance for all workers, no forced labor or child labor. They recycle clothing that you bring to their pop-ups, which they seem kind of limited, and this is a little sketchy, but they say they're doing that. And they produce smaller runs, so theoretically less excess inventory to destroy. Okay, to be honest, as I say these out loud, I realize their full page of sustainability content doesn't really say much. Like it's just lots of word salad and vaguely worded promises. For example, they say, we strictly abide by child labor laws in each of the countries we operate in, but there's no mention of factory or supplier audits at all, except that their factories are required to quote, allow surprise audits, but they're not saying that they're happening. And this kind of dancing around the topic without saying anything concretely is a very common trick on many retailers' sustainability statements. So it's not just Shein engaging in this kind of non-committal commitments. But it's no surprise to me that Good On You gives Shein the lowest rating, which is we avoid. Basically, they provide no verifiable evidence of any of their sustainability policies. And of course, this makes sense to me because you can't specialize in $10 dresses and $2 necklaces and then pay a living wage in great factory conditions all while saving the planet. I mean, it's just not possible. Wish, Boohoo, Nasty Gal, and Pretty Little Thing also received the We Avoid rating on Good On You. Once again, not a surprise because their price point is very similar to Shein. And by the way, Boohoo owns a Nasty Gal and Pretty Little Thing. So where does this leave us? I'm just going to go ahead and say what you already knew I was going to say. Don't buy things from these sites. I know it's really hard because the stuff looks so good in the photos and the prices are so good. But as we've discussed in the past, there are plenty of other affordable ways to get clothes, including secondhand, thrifting, and clothing swaps. And to be honest, 
most of the time, the stuff we see on these sites is too good to be true. If it looks like a crazy bargain for $10, that's because you're not going to get what you're seeing. Resist, okay? For one, these clothes are not going to last, even if they don't disappoint you. So here's another thing, taking up space in your closet, and eventually you're going to have to deal with it. Chances are no one will want to buy it from you. And when you donate it to the Goodwill, the sorters will determine that the quality is too low for them to resell. Maybe it'll be recycled. Maybe it will go to the landfill. No matter what, all of these things use energy and resources. And making it in the first place probably involved all kinds of toxic and wasteful processes. So it's just not worth it. Next, there's the whole ethical issue of giving money to a company that steals designs. Yeah, it's really hard to legally pursue damages and justice for knockoffs, but it's still unethical. While laws can sometimes be ethical at their core, we shouldn't use legality as our measurement for right and wrong. We should say, hey, stealing someone's work is wrong. You don't get my money. Remember, close horse listeners, we don't give money to assholes. It's not illegal to be an asshole, but it sure is unethical. Then there's the issue of the people making these super cheap clothes. What kind of conditions are they working in? It seems unlikely that Sheehan and Wish are doing factory inspections. I would bet that they know very, very little about where the stuff they're selling is being made. Because they aren't even part of the making of it, right? And realistically, how much is a person who is making a $2 pair of bike shorts being paid to sew them? How much are the workers at the fabric mill being paid? What about the people who are shipping the order out to you? Okay, what about the $10 dress? If Shein is keeping 35% of the retail price, then that leaves $6.50 for the fabric, sewing, trims, and packing. And that's if you bought it full price, Based on all the crazy promo offers on the site, I'm guessing no one is paying a full $10 for that dress. So imagine if you got 25% off, so you paid $7.50. Shein is going to keep about $2.50 of that. So now the factory has $5 to make the dress. And remember, they want to make a profit too after they pay everyone. So this isn't like a break-even situation. This is like we want to make a two or three dollar profit but lives two or three dollars to pay everyone else right and to pay for the materials and the packaging all that stuff i mean you know who loses out there the people making the stuff there's no way these workers are making a livable wage i think this is a really good time to talk about the livable wage i mean i talk about it a lot but i've never really broken it down so first off what is a livable wage a livable wage enables a worker to support a family above the poverty line and still be able to have some discretionary spending and the ability to save. In other words, financial stability and a modicum of comfort. I think we tend to believe that a living wage means the bare minimum to eat and have a place to live. And is, is that all you want out of life? I know plenty of you are living without a safety net, worrying about getting sick, or the car breaking down or losing your apartment, I mean, we should demand better. I've spent more of my life than not being one missed paycheck away from homelessness. I want better for everyone. I think we also tend to assume that if a worker is making that country's minimum wage, then everything is fine. 
but that's naive of us. We know that here in the U.S., people who make only the minimum wage are suffering. They have no backup resources. They often don't have access to good health care, healthy food, quality education, affordable child care. They might not even be able to afford a place of their own. When I was making just above minimum wage working retail, I couldn't afford to take the bus. Still, I think we have this idea that things are different in other places. So here are some examples that prove otherwise. In Sri Lanka, the basic pay averages 13,500 rupees, which is $197 per month. Garment workers who were interviewed by campaigners from Labor Behind the Label in 2016 said that they would require at least 33,000 rupees, which is $481, to support their families. That's more than double what they're being paid, but they're being paid the minimum wage or slightly above. So that just gives you some context. In India, workers are paid an average of 6,284 rupees, which is $92 per month. Workers would need 13,000 rupees, which is about $190, effectively double what they're being paid right now. And that would be barely getting by, like not a life of luxury or anything like that. None of these workers are getting their nails done or going to the beach this weekend or buying a new dress for every wedding. They aren't Instagramming their $15 cocktail or getting really into craft beers. I mean, we're just talking about getting by. So one thing you might ask, because I've asked this too, why don't the governments raise the wages if the people are suffering? Well, governments often keep wages low because they're afraid of losing business to other lower wage countries. That makes sense because the retailers are always going to be looking for the best deal they can find. I guess if all the countries in the world agreed together to raise wages in some paradise utopia world, (laughs) then no one would take their business elsewhere. But it seems like a pretty unlikely scenario, at least right now. Should it happen? Of course, but we have to push for it. And I'm aware that this is a problem in the United States too. People were struggling so hard before COVID, but now it's like exponentially worse. Wealth disparity worsens with each year, and I think that COVID is just really pushing it even harder. So billionaire wealth has soared by an annual average of 13% since 2010. We're talking about billionaires here, so we're talking about a lot of money. That rise of 13% is six times greater than the wages of regular workers, and they regular workers have seen a rise of about 2% per year. That's according to Oxfam International. 90% of billionaires are men. Meanwhile, 80% of garment workers are women. And these women are working 100 or more hours each week. That's not hyperbole. That's real. To try to keep their families afloat. It's disgusting, right? According to Oxfam, it takes just over four days for a CEO from the top five companies in the garment sector to earn what an ordinary Bangladeshi woman garment worker earns in her entire life lifetime. Four days. Oxfam is pushing for a series of systemic changes that would lift workers out of poverty, and they really all align with the UN's sustainable development goals. First, they want to limit returns to shareholders and top executives while also ensuring all workers receive a minimum living, like truly living wage that would enable them to have a decent quality of life. 
In Nigeria, for example, that would mean tripling the average pay. And even here in the U.S., as we're seeing retailers refuse to pay for canceled orders and laying off employees, they're posting a profit and paying dividends to shareholders. Doesn't seem very socially responsible at all, does it? I don't see anybody mentioning that on their corporate responsibility pages. Next, Oxfam would like to eliminate the gender pay gap and protect the rights of women workers. As we are right now in 2020, it will take 217 years, that's more than two centuries, to close the gap in pay and employment opportunities between women and men. Lastly, Oxfam would like to ensure that the wealthy pay their fair share of tax through higher taxes, which is something that's constantly being talked about even in this election year. And this would allow for an increase in spending on public services like healthcare and education. Oxfam estimates a global tax of 1.5% on billionaires' wealth could pay for every child in the world to go to school. When we're talking about clothes, especially cheap, fast fashion clothes, we have to talk about why they are cheap. And as we've discussed in the past, it's because we, the customers, have demanded cheap clothing. Some of us need them to be cheaper because we can't afford them otherwise. This goes back to the incredible wealth disparity in our world. But if we're all making a livable wage and we all had free or affordable health care, if housing prices aligned with our income and we weren't drowning in student loan debt, well, the clothes that were made paying others a livable wage wouldn't feel expensive to us. They would just feel like the normal price of clothes. Basically, our broken capitalist system and incredibly dysfunctional government is feeding our need for cheap fast fashion. However, I think this is really important to call out when we talk about why clothes that are made ethically are more expensive. We wouldn't actually have to pay that much for the people making our clothes to make a livable wage. Right now, workers' wages are about 1% to 3% of the total cost of most clothing, which is crazy when we think about a $2 pair of bike shorts. It's insane. We're talking about mere cents right here. Doubling those wages would only mean maybe a 3% increase in the cost of what we buy. So a $10 dress might have to become an $11 dress at most, probably not even that much of an increase. Labor behind the label says it would cost H&M about 2% of the $2 billion it made in 2016 to pay all of its Cambodian workers the additional $78 per month they would need to achieve a living wage. So not even taking up costs towards customers, really just reallocating their budget. Others of us can afford more expensive clothes, but we want as much newness as possible. We're addicted. We can't be seen wearing the same thing on Instagram twice. We need more and more and more. And since we need more and more and more clothes, we need them to be as cheap as possible. So we're always looking for deals, deals, deals. We need to stop with that behavior. It's hard, I know, but we need to buy less and we need to buy things that are better. We need to wear things more rather than just consume. We really need to wear our things until they literally wear out, which we're definitely not doing right now. So much of our psychology is wrapped up in shopping, and we need to begin to untangle why we need so much. And this is how we end up buying things from Shein, because we need, we want the newness, the addiction to newness. 
let's think about something for a minute. So much of fashion, of what we buy, of our personal style is all about making ourselves feel and look a certain way. We want our clothes to tell the story of who we are and who we aspire to be. We want our style to reflect our best selves. Do we want the story of who we are to include a landfill full of crappy clothes? Do we aspire to be a brand that steals designs and ideas? Do our best selves include the poverty and suffering of others? Thank you for listening to another episode of Clothes Horse. If you like what you're hearing, please rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. The magic of algorithms will bring us to new listeners. I am working on an upcoming series of episodes about retail workers, their struggles, and their fight for fair wages and better conditions. If you have worked retail, and I bet a lot of you have, I would love to hear your stories. Basically, collecting your stories will help me frame out what I need to research and discuss. You can either send your stories via email to clotheshorsepodcast at gmail.com or via Instagram where you'll find us at clotheshorsepodcast. If writing isn't your thing, you can also send me a voice memo recorded on your phone or computer. And if that doesn't sound appealing either, once again, just message me and we'll figure something out. Thanks, as always, to Justin Travis White and all of his vintage tracker hats for our music and audio support. If eBay is my heart, then you're the most highly rated seller. Bye. Bye.